Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. I was praying about what to share on, and what was on my heart was I was thinking about the teachings in Hebrew we've been going through, and the theme has basically been Jesus is best. Jesus is better. In the context of Hebrews, better than going back to the law and the Judaism uh, and all that that entails to be right with God. That leave it behind, don't go back to it, look to Jesus. And so the scripture that always comes to my mind in Hebrews is Hebrews 12 where it says, therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, which it's like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, angels, Christians, Different interpretations for that, but we're not alone. There are those who are for God. It says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. And so for us in our relationship with God, you know, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. I love this one person I follow on Instagram, and their main theme is look up. And what they always say is, and they'll say, eyes up. And for us, we're looking up to Jesus. Our eyes are up on Jesus. And that's not always easy. It's difficult. And the way the devil works is pretty much he'll get our eyes off Jesus with discouragements, and he'll get our eyes off Jesus with distractions. Uh, so this morning, we're actually going to be looking at uh, the prophet Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, where he spoke to God's people, his children, and he was prophetic in speaking of how God would judge when they rebelled, and it was pretty gnarly, how they would actually be destroyed and ruined and wrecked, people of God, wrecked relationship with God, wrecked lives, individually and as families, destroyed. But in the midst of all that, just speaking the truth, he always prophesied of God sending a Messiah, someone who would come and rescue them, save them, help them from their own faults and sins and what they needed personally for their own rebellion, help them with the struggle of being in the world and being destroyed by enemies, and Isaiah spoke of a prophet, of a Messiah, that God would send someone who would rescue him. And the wild thing is, is he painted two pictures of this Messiah, the anointed one. One would be a suffering servant, and one would be a conquering king. And when you're in trouble and getting beat up, you want the conquering king, not the suffering servant. But ultimately, as we open up to Isaiah 61... This is a portion where we can look at Jesus, who he was, what his mission was, what he was like, and uh, glean, hopefully, some things to want to draw near to him instead of get our eyes off him. So if you could open up to Isaiah chapter 61, and it should be on the screen, potentially, All righty. And so we're going to read along all the way through verse 4. It says, 
The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, and they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. So, in Isaiah chapter 60 and 61 and 62, Isaiah actually speaks to the children of Israel who had pretty much been wiped out. The Jews had been wiped out by the Assyrians. They took half of them. Then the Babylonians came in and came after the remnant, and they were hauled away captive. And basically, their city, Jerusalem, everything was destroyed. Everything was wrecked. But Isaiah spoke to those who would survive of a hope of what God would do in their lives. But in the context of the whole chapter, he actually speaks of what he would do for them as a nation with the nation of Israel and Jerusalem and even rebuilding the temple. And we're not going to get into that this morning, but a lot of Christians, when they would read this section of Scripture just 100 years ago, they would go, that can't be true. The Jews are scattered across the globe. It'll never happen. We're the generation where our Bible holds true, the prophecies are being fulfilled, and Israel's back in the nation, they're rebuilding, they're, they're in a renewal time, and it's, it's an absolute miracle. But that's not our study this morning. So what's interesting is when Jesus was here and he read the scriptures, he knew the scriptures, when he was starting his ministry, he went into his hometown, Nazareth, went into the synagogue one day, and he was given the scroll to read out of the Old Testament. And what we just read, Isaiah 61, Jesus read from Isaiah 61. And it says he read it and he said, he said, uh, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he stopped because the next half of that verse says the day of vengeance of our God. And it says he sat down and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. So ultimately in Isaiah 61, it's speaking of a Messiah that the Spirit of the Lord is upon, that's anointed by God, who is he? Jesus gives us the answer and says, I'm the one. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. And what's wild is he stopped at the day of vengeance because in his first coming, Jesus came to be the suffering servant. He will fulfill the day of vengeance of our God when he comes in his second coming and he does away with all evil and all that's going on. And thank God we would be done away being part of the all evil club if he didn't forgive us and change us. So we need to stay humble. So interestingly, it says the crowd in the church marveled at his sayings, at his gracious words. 
And then Jesus went on to say a few other things in Luke concerning people rejecting his teachings and I'm here not only for you, my blood, the Jews, I'm here for the Gentiles, those who aren't Jews. And he spoke of a few examples where he would reach out to the whole world and it says this, it says they were filled with rage and went to go chuck them off a cliff. But then it says he just walked away out of their midst. So ultimately, it's amazing how we can marvel at God's word one minute and then when something's difficult to swallow or we don't want to let it go, we can rage. And that's what people do uh, who don't know Jesus. And sometimes if they end up on the rage end and don't come full circle back to like, ah, okay, I need him. But even as Christians, we do that when we hear the message. And we always want to marvel at his word, work through the frustrations, and stay with him. So there's something a commentator, David Guzik, said that, uh, excuse me, excuse me. Okay, there's something a commentator said, David Guzek, and I actually want to read it for you. I was going to paraphrase it, but I just want to read it. He comments on Isaiah 61 and says this. To preach good tidings to the poor, the Messiah announces that he is here to heal the damage that sin brings. Sin has done great damage, so there needs to be great, a great work of redemption. He has sent me because sin impoverishes, he will preach good tidings to the poor. Because sin breaks hearts, he will heal the broken heart. Because sin makes captives, he will proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Because sin oppresses, he will proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He has sent me, because sin is a crime that must be avenged, he will proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. You know, when you think of people that are poor and broken, people that are hearts are crushed, people that are bound, set at liberty the captives, opening the prison to those who are bound, bound by addictions, bound by things they can't stop doing, on and on and on. When you think about people who are discouraged and they've been burned in life, all that, ultimately, the reason all that exists is sin. And you know, a lot of times we bring on ourselves, our own sin. Throughout our life, we don't do it. Someone else does it to us, and we're a victim, victims of sin. And you know, even in the natural world, the world is not functioning the way God wants it, and natural disasters can affect the Christian and the non-Christian and everybody. It's a fallen world. But a fallen world that has destruction, and it ultimately goes back to the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. And you know, the reason it's important to consider sin when you're talking about healing, comfort, renewal, restoration, is because we don't want to just treat the wound, you want to get to the symptom. And if you don't get to the root cause of what is causing the pain, you're going to address the pain and be comforted and healed, and then you're going to go out and have the pain again. And so, wow, we're just going to skim over some of these, and we'll maybe go a little more in depth on a few of them.
So it will be kind of a random uh, looking at all these different things. Looking at the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. Jesus said he fulfilled that. He came to do it. And you know, when someone says, that's me, I'm the one who's going to comfort. I'm the one who's going to heal. I'm the one who's going to set people free. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. And Jesus lived out his message. We all know that as we have been through God's word and seeing what he's done. You know, anointed means Messiah. It literally means like the one. And I kind of Googled it and it's like, the, God anoints us for times when we do things, anoints us with the strength, the love, the wisdom, etc. But sometimes someone is anointed, like anointed the king, the one. Jesus is the Messiah, the one. When I was looking for the definition, I, I asked Siri, I said, Siri, what's the definition of anointing? And I kind of already seen it, but I wanted to hear it. And it said, or anoint, what is the definition of the anointed one? And it said, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the anointed one. <laughs> and so what's interesting on that, it reminded me of, Jesus said in the last days, false Christ would be preached. So there's a ton of people, ways, religions, on and on and on, that claim to be the anointed one, the way that will solve your problems, get you to heaven, get you out of hell, etc. You know what? Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. Uh, what's interesting about the Spirit of the Lord that's upon me is Jesus had a relationship with the Father, and... He lived his life like we need to. He needed to be filled with God's strength, with God's power, with the Spirit of the Lord. And that's how he functioned. That's why you'd see him always going away to pray alone, praying with the disciples. And it says this for us. Jesus said, started with his first believers. He said, just wait. Go and tarry in Jerusalem till you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says this. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, in the uttermost parts of the world. God wants to fill us with his power so we can live a life for him. Interesting in Galatians, which is similar to Hebrews, the Hebrews were going back to something else. The Galatian church was doing the same thing, and Paul said, hey, you guys, you started out in the Spirit. I need Jesus' forgiveness. It's what he did on the cross. Thank you, Lord. And he says, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect in the flesh? And so when we think of God strengthening us in our relationship with him and the Holy Spirit filling us for this day, for this season we're in, for this, et cetera, uh, whatever may be going on in our life, and we want that, we want to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And it says the fruit of the flesh is, you know, fornication, adultery, wrath, anger. And we're kind of like, okay, I want the Spirit. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Uh, we need to go back and remember, Lord, we need your strength. And when life gets really a lot going on, the children of Israel, when they were actually in a rebuilding renewal time, like, you know what? Our city's been destroyed. Our lives have been destroyed. We're going to rebuild. Zechariah, the prophet, 
actually spoke to the people when they were getting discouraged because it was just so much work. There was too much ruin. Things had gone south too bad. And it says there's really like a mountain that was in their way. And many would think it was a mountain of rubble, like when a hurricane just, you know, or tornado destroys a city. And they were discouraged. And he said to them, as far as being dependent on God and his strength, he said, this is the word of the Lord. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And you know, you can do it in your might. You can do it in your power. But it'll, you know, it can be draining. It can deplete, you get depleted earlier. We all, it's our relationship with God what we're growing in. Lord, I just did the whole day in my own strength. Now, you know, I lost the joy. I lost, you know, it was okay, but nothing compared to the days when I do it in your strength so much more peaceful, so much more joyful, so much more better. And so the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. And it says what Jesus was to do was to preach good tidings to the poor. A cool scripture says, How beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel of peace, who bring good tidings of great things. When Jesus said, he was going to preach the gospel to the poor, good tidings. What it's actually referring to is preaching the gospel, not just good news to poor people like you're going to have food and provision. It's literally really addressing the issue of people who are poor in spirit. And, you know, every person who has lived on this earth all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person is actually dirt poor when they don't have a relationship with God. And it's, you know, what does a prophet of man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? The Bible's filled with contrast of being physically having a lot and being spiritually or emotionally poor. And so, Jesus addresses our main need, and at the time, he did both. He went out and fed people. If you look at his ministry and you look at the ministry of the disciples, yes, they met physical needs, but you know what? It was primarily repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Go from living, repent means to turn. Turn from living a life without God, which may mean sin and rebellion. It may mean being really religious, really good. You got it all together, which is better, less consequences, unless it's psycho-religion cult, but ultimately, a life without God, we're poor. There's zero relationship with him, our creator, the one who made us, our father in heaven, our friend who sticks closer than a brother, Jesus. It doesn't exist because we don't want it. So a life with God is what Jesus and the disciples proclaimed. They were calling people, ultimately, who were poor in spirit in every walk of life, rich to poor and everything in between, that you need Jesus. Even Jesus and Nicodemus, you must be born again. So, ultimately, we want to preach the good news. And, you know, I heard a cool thing this week, and it... it kind of touched on something I've been personally doing recently, and it was preach the gospel to yourself every day. So, you know, when we do a message or someone does a message, and then all of a sudden they're like, okay, you know, there's those of you who don't believe, and you need to know God loves you. 
Jesus died on the cross for you. He took the punishment you deserved. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And he rose from the grave. And he's knocking on the door of your heart. And he wants to come in. And he wants you to have a relationship with him. A life with him as opposed to a life without him. And yes, whatever the life without him involves, if it's going to keep you from following him, you need to leave it. He will help you. He will strengthen you. He will set you free. He sets the captives free. So ultimately, uh, when that gets shared, and you've heard it a bunch, we're like, hopefully we're going, okay, I've got to pray for the people who aren't saved that they'll hear this, who don't know how, don't save, don't have a relationship with Jesus. But ultimately, we need to hear it every day. Thank you, Lord, that was me. Thank you, Lord, this is good news for me today. A new day, a new fresh start. Thank you, I can have the joy of my salvation. That good news applies to me today as much as it did the first time I received it. And you know, there's a joy to our salvation and a humility when we, in a sense, receive and remember Jesus every day. Receive his gospel. You can take that as far as you want. Interestingly, uh, Proverbs says this, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If someone is not poor in spirit, usually they're prideful, full of pride. And, you know, Jesus spoke to, uh, or sometimes it's coupled with they're full of a lot of riches. Or they're, and riches can be defined differently. You can have someone who's homeless, who knows they're really poor in one sense, but they're really rich in what they want, where they got their homeless friends, they got their drugs. They're, and I'm not stereotyping saying that's all of them. I'm talking about the one who doesn't want to give that up. And in a sense, God says, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So when Jesus says he preaches good news to the poor, if we're full of pride, we won't receive it. You know, it it's, it's just kind of goes over our head. We miss out. And uh, what's interesting with all this is we always start with ourselves. Jesus loves you. He wants to minister to you. He wants to minister to your family. He wants to minister to the people around us. And what's crazy is, this happens quite often with, with people we love and care about, friends, family. In the midst of being happy, they're doing good in a certain area. You know, vocationally and health-wise and Drugs and alcohol-wise, you know, they're kind of staying, okay, they're doing all right. You know, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We should be happy about that. But we don't want to lose sight if they don't have a relationship with God or if they do and it's on the back burner, they are poor in spirit. They're headed for trouble. It's not good. And a lot of times the reason we don't go down that road, you want to know why? Because it's draining, it's heartbreaking. 
It kind of gets old, going up and down with the emotions. But you know, if we really care, if we really love, we'll do it. But we'll do it with God. He's with us. Those who sow in tears will reap in joy. That's why one person is like, they can go in their prayer closet and break down. And everyone's different. I'm not a big tear person. But whatever that, however that works, where your heart is broken and you're, you're mourning because of the condition of the people in your life, always your first condition first, we could lay it at God's feet and then come out with joy. It's in your hands, Lord. We've interceded, we've prayed for him, we've reached out to him. So it's really sad. We want to have our eyes open. It's really sad when we miss where people are really at. Because if we miss where they're really at, we won't share with them. We won't proclaim the good news. We won't give them what they need. And it says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And that was just kind of preview. We can be willing to have a broken heart because he heals our heart. And when there's other things in our own life where our heart has been broken by people, by our own stuff, on and on and on, one of the most beautiful promises in the Bible is Jesus will heal our broken heart. And it's, I think I've said this on every message I've talked on. Somewhere I've said, you don't want to live with a crack in your heart. You don't want to live with a broken heart. It's kind of like a repetition where, we, where we, we want the Lord to heal our hearts. And when, we heal, when he heals our hearts, we're much more able to love him and love others. It's kind of cool when I was thinking about this message and overriding themes of walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, um, God healing our hearts. I got a text from Melody and Jim. And it was out of Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel, and I hadn't even kind of thought about this scripture the whole time I was preparing. Uh, It says this in Ezekiel 36. And he's speaking to the children of Israel who their hearts needed some help. He said, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. I will take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's a joy robber to live with a hard heart, a bitter heart, a calloused heart. And we've all been there. We could be there to a degree. This encouragement is don't even live there to a degree. You know, it's like bring it to God and going, come on, God, I I need your healing. Heal my heart. You know, I heal my heart. And he's so good, he does it. So this is, this is kind of interesting. Um, when Jesus was talking to the Jews, he said, um, he said to them that they were like whitewashed tombs. You know, on the outside, beautiful. On the inside, dead. And yes, it's all good. Clean up our act on the outside. But God is so interested on the inside. He wants to give us... And you know, it's not just a restoration thing, although it is. It's a new heart. Brand new, fresh start. But you know why we need 
healing and comfort with the new heart? Because we live in this world. This is kind of wild. This is a side trip somewhere else in the notes, but I'm going to share it now. You know why a boat sinks? Not because it's in the water, but because the water gets in it. You know why the tragic loss of those lives in the sub, why the sub sank when it was in the water, literally, not just on top, but in, because water got in. Just a drop, and then it, it implodes. All it took was one drop because of the pressure. There's other reasons, but either bottom line is the drop got in. And you know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I always forget how that applies to cooking, but it's not good, it takes over. You know, there's things God wants us to remove from our lives, to eliminate from our lives, to stay away from, because he doesn't want our heart to be broken and needlessly wounded. Wow. On Jesus goes to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He's healing hearts, and then he's saying, I'm going to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And in Luke 4, referring to the opening of the prison to those who are bound, he actually said and referred to the opening to the eyes to those who are blind. What's interesting is Jesus, in speaking to an audience, the Jews, he was talking to them, and he said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Freedom from captivity, freedom from being bound. And they said, we've never been in bondage. You know, they look back at their forefathers in Egypt as slaves, but they're saying, I'm not in bondage. Basically, they're saying, I'm, I'm not captive. And Jesus said this in response to that. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. So ultimately, when we sin, especially when it's not a mistake or we get suckered into something, but it's literally we can't stop and we keep doing it and on and on and on, he says we're a slave to it, a slave to sin. And he says this, though, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And ultimately, for us as Christians, every Christian, when they start their relationship with God, they got stuff they got to be freed from. And then, as you've been a Christian a while, you realize, wow, that's still rearing its ugly head. I should have been freed up from that a long time ago. Or you get freed up from something, and then you go back to it and go, okay, that wasn't worth it. Now I'm having ice cream every night of the week. It was just going to be one night of the week. So, but you get the picture. But Jesus, ultimately, he wants to set us free. He wants to open our eyes. He said, to, these guys are saying, we're not in bondage. He's saying, you are. Another place, they, Jesus was talking about seeing and being blind. And they said, we're not blind. You know, we know what's going on. We, on and on and on. I know what the truth is and what I, et cetera. He said, because you say you're not blind, you're blind. The person who says, wow, maybe I'm a little blind. Lord, in Christians, we need to do this every day. Lord, I got blind spots. Open my eyes, please. You know, uh, thank you where I do see. You don't have to say you don't see. You can say thank you where I see. Thank you you've opened my eyes. But, Lord, there's areas I could use a little more sight. Open my eyes. And so, ultimately, 
Jesus wants to set us free. And this world is filled with people who are in captivity. Slavery's at an all-time high, just regular slavery. Uh, sex slavery, child slavery for work and physical relationships. We, you know, we want to kind of have a life. It's hard just not to let all this truth, you know, drown our sorrows. But you know, as Christians, we can. We can take some time and it'll be different for each person. Maybe it's a time of week, a time of month, a time of year where the condition of the world, he brings us into being broken about it, praying about it, and then doing what we can about it. And you know, if you look at Jesus' life, you think about what he did, dealing with demons to people distraught, to people at funerals, all the kind of like the ministry that can be emotionally draining. But if you look, he did it. But if you look, he was out in nature talking about the birds and the flowers. He was with kids playing when they didn't want to, adults didn't want to play. It's like, come on, let them come to me. He was at wedding feast. And for your life and mine as a Christian, don't buy into the lie of the devil, which will be different for each of us. And the lie is, you need to play when you should be ministering. And the lie is, you need to go play. You're not the Savior. He is. Someone else can minister right now. That life. But as we seek the Lord first, he'll unravel it. And there'll be, it won't be this perfect balance through the year. It may be one year, but some years, it'll be all ministry. Some years, like, you know, classic sabbaticals, it'll be all play. Throughout your Christian life, if we're led by the Spirit, it will be good. So, going on, there's a, a great quotable quote. Everyone's heard it. Speaking of people on the streets, people in addictions, you know, just the different things where we know someone is bound and they're not free. Sexual promiscuity, going clubbing in the sense of one night stands and escapism from reality, which is pretty big. Uh, our attitude when we see that, it should be, but for the grace of God, there go I. God either pulled us out of it, if you haven't been down any of those roads that I mentioned or something else that comes to your mind, it ain't because of you. It's God's grace. It's like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And then we have a heart for those people instead of a hard heart. And it's harder not to have a hard heart when the lifestyle of our world and all they're doing actually affects ours now. A little trickier to keep a soft heart with your neighbors and people you run into and different things. And uh, so God help us. But you know what? We, by God's grace, can hate the sin and love the sinner. So uh, this is an interesting thing about being set free from sin. It's a question. If I ask you about sin, what's your definition of sin? What comes to your mind? And there's the official definition, but... When you, there's, everybody has something that comes to their mind when they think of sin. What's the definition of sin? And I've been describing a lot of sins, and I, maybe I've done both, but it's, it's this. If you think of rules, 
you're compromising, you're breaking the rules, if that's the first thing you think of sin, it really shouldn't be. The first thing we should think of when we think of sin should be relationship. We should think sin, me grieving the Holy Spirit, me turning my back on my Father in heaven who loves me, Jesus who gave his life for me, relationship. And you know, it is both, 100% both. But if we always just think rules, our relationship with God will be more legalistic, which will create discouragement and condemnation, or it will create a great sense of self-righteousness on how well we're doing with the rules. And it should be relationship, because when it's relationship, we'll draw near to him because we're thinking about the relationship and who he is. And who is he? He's the one who's faithful. He's the one who'll forgive. He's the one who's gracious. He's the one who says, where sin abounds, my grace abounds much more. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Like the prodigal son who wasted it all and said, I need to go home to my father. He makes me a servant, I'll be better off. He came to his senses. So, Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus got to this point, and he's back to saying he's going to declare and proclaim. He's proclaiming the good news. He's proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. This would be like a broad stroke picture that people, the Jews, had a 50-year year of jubilee, and it was every 50 years where everyone got set free of their debts. All their student loans gone. <sighs> That's uh, uh, it really is a time where they literally did everything, even like land return. People would go into servitude, like they're, they're making their payments by working, so to speak. They were released from their servitude. It was a time that the Jews were supposed to, every 50 years, give everyone a restart, a rest for the land, a rest for the people, a new restart. And supposedly in history, they don't think they ever did it. But ultimately... That's what he was speaking of, and he's speaking future tense as far as the world in the new world, new heaven, new earth. It's going to be the real deal, official, done forever. New heaven, new earth, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more debt, no more nothing. It's the real deal where sin doesn't come in and mess it up. You know, 50th year is great, and then 51 and 52 and 53, people start going back into bondage. I went to Rite Aid the other day. Uh, to get a prescription, and I was, I didn't, I, that was free, I was paying for a back brace, and then I was paying for it, my credit card, and the lady, it was like yesterday, the lady was like, when I finished, she's like, you're free, that was her, you know, that, it was like, I was like, she meant it like you're free from this whole transaction, and I walked away, and I was going, well, I'm free from the transaction, but you know what, I'm not free from the credit card payment I got to make. And you know, God sets us free from one thing, and then we go to another. And as we grow in him, he helps us to kind of grow out of that. So I want to kind of wrap this up, and we won't be going over everything. But this is really important as we wrap this up. It's where Jesus didn't say the day of vengeance of our God. A lot of people will say, you know, where's a God of love? 
Why doesn't he do something about all this evil, all this hurt, all this pain, everything that's going on in this world? Why doesn't he do something about it? And you know, ultimately, his first coming, he came to bring mercy, grace, forgiveness, the suffering servant. He goes, I am going to do something about evil. I'm going to do something about every person's individual evil. They need to be saved from punishment, from wrath, from the vengeance of God, for them being an enemy of God. He went to the cross and took the punishment we deserved. He went there. It says he bore our guilt. He bore our shame. He, he's the one who said, I'm caring about you. And, and ultimately, the day of vengeance of our God God does carry out vengeance. And when I say vengeance, it's more of a positive thing. It's God loves justice. It's justice for evil. It's doing something about evil. And on the cross, he did something about our evil. What he did was he took the punishment we deserved, and he said, it is finished. And God literally punished him. He became a sin offering for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And he didn't become sin on the cross. One kind of says that, but it would actually became a sin offering. Holy, pure, innocent, never sinned, totally loving, took the punishment I deserve and you deserve on the cross. And, but what's interesting is God does in a sense, bring punishment and justice and vengeance kind of globally. And we don't totally know. Sometimes they'll say act of God. No, that's an act of sin. That's why that bad thing happened. But sometimes God will just shut down an evil country, an evil person, an evil situation. Because he gave us all free will, sometimes he doesn't. We've got to trust him and know in the end he will. But you know what? Speaking of him not saying the vengeance of the Lord, in his ministry, he actually spoke of it. He said, uh, it says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For the revelation, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? There is a day coming, a second coming, and it is a day of vengeance. And there was one story about a preacher who when he preached and talked about the wrath to come, he thought about the world and the world condition and the people he loved and cared about. And it says he would, he would actually start crying and saying, oh, the wrath to come, the wrath to come. And not that we need to preach hell, fire, and brimstone, but we need our eyes open that this is a sinking ship. We're not putting curtains on the Titanic. We need to know that God will bring a justice and a judgment and his vengeance, the second coming of the Lord. And it's going to be an act of love. He's actually going to eradicate the evil and the devil and on and on and on. He's going to do it. It's an act of love. But somewhere in our relationship with God, it's something we want to grow in because it can motivate us to share with people the love of God, to not sink our roots too deep in this world. This world's passing away and it's less therein. Uh, but concerning that, it also affects 
how we treat people. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, it's like, Lord, I, I'm, I'm ready. Vigilante, I can do it. I have a lot of good ideas. I can take care of it. <laughs> Stuff that goes through my head to take care of things like... Lord, vengeance is yours. The wrath of Billy does not produce the righteousness of God. So God loves us. Uh, as we close this up, we'll have to skip over the rest of it. Uh, but, you know, God wants to comfort you. He wants to give you beauty for ashes. He wants to give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Uh, he wants you to be called trees of righteousness. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners. Uh, but his laws in the delight of the Lord, he will be like a tree planted by the rivers that bears its fruit in its season. He wants us to be growing, flourishing, like trees of righteousness. It's not about getting everything right. It's about, I ain't got it right. Could you put that robe of righteousness on me? Could you put the breastplate of righteousness on me? It's righteousness by faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. God wants to give us beauty for ashes. Burnt, bitter, dry, crusty, soothed, oiled up, healed in the presence of your enemy. He anoints your head with oil. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.